You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Like, I am always wearing a hat, and this is like, plot twist, you're both wearing a hat, I'm not. I mean, the only reason I'm wearing a hat is, well, I just need to state how proud I am of such an awful situation. (laughs) I don't know if proud is the right word, actually. I'm not even a Leafs fan, to be honest. This isn't even my hat. It's my boyfriend's hat, so. <laughs> Your Finnish boyfriend's Toronto Maple Leafs hat. I love yeah, it. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the one that my mother brought all the way across the globe to give to him. And he's like, oh, wow. I don't even like the Leafs. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we wear it to be nice. Yeah. Sorry, Toronto Maple Leafs. Or well, orphaned hat. Sorry, Taylor's mom, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Great hat. The gift, the gift the was well received. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, speaking of the lease, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Wah, um, wah, wah. The stat that came out was they are the first team in NHL, MLB, NBA history to lose five years in a row in the first round of playoffs in game seven. And I think Toronto fans are really just sick and tired of it. Or maybe they're just like, well, this is the new norm. It's happened five years in a row. Why not make it six? Hmm. Growing used to it maybe is also another descriptor. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so nutty because Last year, there was like such rage and anger, right? Like being up three games to one against the Canadians and then just kind of disappearing. And like this year, I feel like the anger has been replaced in some cases with just like apathy. Like I think people have just kind of like elected to just not care. Like they can't feel anymore. <laughs> they felt <laughs> things to such depths that they're like, nope. They're numb. We just can't I'm in self-preservation it. mode, right? Like they've been okay, every whatever. year. Yeah. I think my so, favorite thing though is the memes that they come out with on social media about it. My favorite yeah. is the one with uh Sid the Sloth from from the Ice Age I wearing see. the Toronto jersey. It's like why they do this to me every year do this every year (laughs) why are you so good at that i might have said it a lot in my youth (laughs) oh boy (laughs) well this is the thing right like and people are saying some people are saying well this year was different right so there weren't the excuses like John Tavares didn't get injured in the first game. You know, Mm -hmm. there wasn't, it wasn't in a bubble, you know, there was actually fans in the stands and they did try hard and it was a very close series, but the challenge is it's the same ending. It's the same result. And like you said, like, Mm -hmm. those are what the stats are on like five years in a row, you did not advance and it came down to a do or die game and you weren't able to get it done. And this is like, we talk about this a lot, right? Because again, it's 
are you looking at the process and analyzing the process? Because all the statistics around that this year, and even the eye test would say, okay, well, they were better this year, but the results, the tape, the same. And we know in sports, it's like you are measured for the result. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we haven't seen anything come out about it yet, but you have to wonder, like somebody's going to have to get the boot in Toronto for it being five seasons in a row. Like that's absolutely crazy. And I mean, it's playoff time. Like they've obviously got, they got, they got Austin Matthews. who's one of like the most skilled players in the, in the league. And he's put up tons of points this season, but he doesn't make the entire team. Right. And like, obviously there was a close seven game. Like it was a two, one game. Like it was, it was close and they battled hard for it, but you have to have the extra push at the end of the day. You have to like the playoffs is a different level of hockey. And if you don't have that seventh gear to jump into, then you're really not going to be able to come out on the other end victorious, especially when you're playing into a two time NHL championship team. Well, that's the other piece of it, right? Is there's a lot of youth on that team, I feel like. And they've tried to bring in more seasoned players, players that have been there, done that. But it always seems like they're getting players while they're like, they've kind of hit the peak and now they know that their career has kind of hit that peak and they're on their way down, right? Which is is still great from a leadership perspective. It's still great to get that extra um, like veteran status in a locker room, but their coach is also pretty young and pretty new to the league. Like it's not five, you know, how long has he been with the team? Five years or five years, maybe? MJ, do you have uh, think- stats on that? I can look it up. But- I think three three just three so like you've got a young coach a lot of young players who've not i mean yes now they have been in that situation a number of times but i mean there's still an argument to be had in that and then when you look on the other side of the bench like i think what's it john cooper right the coach of tampa bay has solidified himself as probably one of the best coaches in the NHL. He's got a great roster behind him with a lot of experience. Mm, For sure. Patty Maroon now has more Stanley Cup rings than the Leafs have had since like 1960. So he has more rings than an entire organization in 70 years. Just, just pile (laughs) on to the embarrassing things here. Let's, let's just keep going. Yeah. Well, But this is the thing, right? So I know they have like a young core and that was kind of the storyline, especially in the first few years of this, like five year, let's call it an experience. (laughs) Um, But like now they're like 24, 25, right? So like they're actually entering the prime of their careers, like Matthews, Marner and those guys. Um, But also like, I think back to the game and there was a time where Marner took a shot, like Austin Matthews took a shot. There was a rebound. And Marner hit the post and it hit posted out. And like, if it went posted in, we could be having a completely different conversation here because they would have gone ahead. They would have been able to build on that momentum. And especially something like hockey, it is such a game of inches, right? Mm -hmm. But once the result happens, we look at it and we're like, oh, well, that team shit the bed because they lost. When realistically, like that's, if you look at it objectively, that's not necessarily what happened. But I have this other thing where they're talking about like Marner and Matthews, right? And legacy. And, you know, you look at people that are trying to get into the hall of fame and they might be leading in like goal production or offensive statistics, whatever. But often it comes down to that conversation. Like, well, how many championships did they win? 
How many rings do they have regardless of the sport? Right. So again, it's like your legacy is defined by the championships you win, not necessarily by the stat lines. Mm -hmm. Then you also have a player like Connor McDavid who hasn't won a cup yet and who has been on a team that has struggled to make it really deep into the playoffs. So like, I don't know, maybe there is just a little bit of a, a Maple Leafs curse going on that we don't, don't really understand. Cause you're right though. It's a game of inches and bounces and they're, they weren't getting any bounces. Like they had a goal called off in that last game. Mm. It's just, it's just not working out for them. And I honestly don't know what I would say to a team who's experiencing that kind of stuff because it's out of your control. Like, what can you say? If you did everything you could and it wasn't enough, like you have to be okay with that. But mm. of course, you know, the media is not okay with that. The fans are not okay with that because it's just not, not enough. No. Well, and like, I mean, I always say like, you have to be good to be lucky. Right. And mm. it's not that Toronto is not good, but they definitely are not lucky. Um, I feel like if they were to get any bounces it it just never happened for them. Like you said, they hit a post and out in that game. They had a goal called back, right? Like those are two very close, almost goal scoring opportunities, but unfortunately almost doesn't really cut it ever in this game, Mm -hmm. which brings on a lot of (laughs) self-doubt, which is what we're talking about today. Good segue. (laughs) Yeah. The Leafs are a perfect segue to the topic for today. Um, you know, we were talking about it earlier and doubt is something that we all experience as athletes. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of it can stem from past experiences or mistakes. You know, it's hard to imagine that there's not some doubt circulating amongst the Leaf staff and players and management right now, you know, being in that position five times, failing five times can make you doubt, like, can we move forward? Right. It's, I would say doubt is on the opposite end of the spectrum of belief right? And it's a sliding scale, but yeah, like I'd just love for, for you guys to be able to share some stories about situations where you've been in, where you've experienced some doubt, right? And how you've kind of navigated it. And then maybe we can get into the idea of where it comes from, what it's rooted in and what we can do to, to help ourselves and those around us manage it a little bit better. Lou, you want to take it away? You want me to give her a go? No, I'll give her a go. All right. Well, I mean, like, as I was saying before, um, I feel like when I look at the big picture of my hockey career, I've never had any doubts in that sense. I've never once thought, okay, like I'm not good enough or I'm not going to make it or things are not going to work out or anything like that. I've never once thought that even after having surgery, I've never once thought like, I'm not going to be able to play again. Like that's never been in the realm of possibilities. Um, but when we kind of scale it down to a smaller level. And we look at like in each season, there's definitely been moments where I've doubted myself in my performance. Um, and I think the one that really stands out for me was in my third year of university, we were going into the first round of playoffs and as a goalie, I don't know, I don't know if players feel the same way about this, but like, I have a very, uh, specific mental prep routine and like physical routine before I start games and it's like clockwork like I do the same thing every single game um and usually I have a really good like intuitive feeling as to whether or not I am prepared and ready to go um but then there's days where 
intuitively, I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I prepared it, even though I'm doing the same exact thing, but it's just this like sixth sense that something is off or not going to go my way. And then that's when that self-doubt really starts to creep in, especially like having that feeling before a game and then stepping on the ice. And then I think in this specific series, we were playing against St. Effects. And I'll never forget this because I posted our classic pregame picture on Instagram before, uh, before the game. And it was like me posted up and it was like praying the post is on my side tonight. Yeah. The post was definitely not on my side that game guys. Uh, there was like about three post and ends. Um, but yeah, but like that was one of those things, right. Where like, I, I got in my own head about it while I was on the ice in those situations. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, oh my God, like I'm blowing this, like, I'm going to get pulled. Like, I'm not going to be starting the next game. And then like, it just kind of rabbit hole from there. Right. And like, it goes back to the kind of the self-talk and knowing how to manage that when things aren't going your way, which at the time I didn't have any of that sort of training. I read books and like did my own stuff, but in terms of like working with a coach or working with a sports psychologist, that just wasn't, wasn't my reality. So, you know, it wasn't so much the big scale of self-doubt, like, am I going to make this team or am I going to like have a successful or a fulfilling career? It was more or less like once we got into at least then, once we got into those like really important game situations, I would kind of just get into my own head about it. And like, that's really when that self-doubt would start to creep in and start to take over. And you'd see that show up in my performance. Well, something that's important, right? Like you said, like you didn't, you didn't know about it. Like you hadn't read the books, you hadn't been trained. I think sometimes we all know when we doubt ourselves, right? And we want to think, oh, I just, I want to be to a place where I don't doubt myself every more anymore. Part of it is acknowledging like doubt happens regardless of who you are and regardless of how confident you are or how much, you know, part of it is acknowledging that those thoughts, right. Or those doubts will creep in because we're human. And the important part is like you said, how do we navigate that when it does arise? Because if we think that we should just never doubt, sometimes we are even harder on ourselves because we have a doubt and then we judge ourselves for having doubts. Right. Mm -hmm. So it can, that it can spiral that way too. So part of it's just accepting doubt happens. I think for me is definitely the, the judgment part. Like I judged myself mm. a lot, especially within that series. I know, like, I know that I should have been performing better, especially given the season that I had had. And then I just like, that's also when all of the mental health and burnout stuff started to show up for me as well on top of this. So I think it's kind of like a, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like um, things just start to like pile up and, mm-hmm collect interest basically I forget what that word is oh my god compound thank you thank you wow um things just start to compound interest personally all right okay yeah good to know (laughs) compounding interest one might say all right oh there There we go thank you (laughs) living in a in a country with a different language you'd think that English would still be really good for me (laughs) jokes jokes on me It's, it's interesting the way that you describe like your experience with self-doubt because I was listening to it thinking, holy crap, my entire experience was the exact opposite of that. So I have like really 
good shining moments in my career where I didn't experience self-doubt and that was not the norm. Like I can tell you two off of the top of my head. Once was when I was going into like the final cuts for U18s. I had no self-doubt. I knew I left it all on the line and it was the first time that I ever called my mom ahead of um, like cuts saying I actually feel really really confident. I feel good about this. I'm really happy. I'm excited. First time I'd ever felt that way in my life. And then the second time was my senior year of college going into um, the semifinal game at NCAA Frozen Four. I had no doubts in my mind. Not even as we were going into like our third overtime. So we're heading into almost playing two full games of ice hockey. I'm like, no, we're good. Like super confident myself, my teammates and Spoiler alert, in both of those situations, the outcome did not go the way that I thought it would, but the majority of my career was just like laden with self-doubt. My immediate response was always, well, I'm not good enough. I should be worried. I'm not doing enough. Everybody knows that I don't deserve to be here. I'm a total fraud. Like that's where my mind went. And I don't, I've done a lot of work on trying to figure out where this comes from and I still haven't quite gotten there. Um, but it, I think it has something to do with the fact that I was always trying to prove myself. I was always trying to convince other people that I was good enough because somewhere along the lines I was told that I wasn't. In some like really small hidden way, right? And, um... Which doesn't make any sense to me because the first time that I was told that I wasn't good enough, when I the first time I was ever cut from a team, was that U18 Team Canada tryout. The one time that I felt like fully confident was, you know, where I was actually literally told you're not good enough to be here. So it's interesting. I don't know. But did that self-doubt start to creep in like after that experience for you or was it there? Oh no, it was there before I got there and then it got worse. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that compounding interest. That's there it is again. (laughs) Strikes back. Yeah. Um, I came across a thing actually that might just help create some clarity, right? Because like you said, we all have doubt, but we're curious about where it comes from. So I found a thing that talks about like five common causes, and maybe we can maybe this will help shed some light on where it comes from for us as well. Like one is past experiences and mistakes, right? So if we go through something and we fail, right? Where if we find ourselves in that same situation again, we might doubt ourselves. Cough, leaves, cough. Um, <laughs> second, childhood upbringing, right? So maybe it's parents that told us we could or couldn't do things or also like introduction to social scenarios, right? Where people say you can't do this, you can't do that. That can trigger doubt. Comparison with others, which is huge in athletics too, right? Like if you have an all-star teammate who's just killing it, like that might make me feel like I'm less capable or confident in a situation. New challenges, So facing something that we've never faced before, right? Like playing at a higher level or being on a new team, like more doubts can creep in in that situation. Stepping outside that comfort zone is always hard. Absolutely. And then the last one they mentioned is fear of failure, right? So anytime you're worried, but also fear of success. Sometimes I'd like to dig into like the success part, because I feel like 
the fear of failure, like everybody talks about that because like, it's pretty obvious, right? Like nobody wants to be labeled as a failure. Nobody wants to get that F back on their report card essentially, but people don't realize that you can self-sabotage because you're also scared of success as well. So like, what are your guys' thoughts on self-doubt when it comes to being like fear, fearing that success? trying to think I the way that I relate to it is like from something that a client of mine told me which was like she was terrified of having to live up to a bar that she was able to set once so like and the conversation that we had was I mean it started off like pretty light but it you know things take a turn pretty quickly for people especially when you're getting into some of this deeper work and she had said to me, you know, what, what do I do if I'm able to perform really, really well one day? And now that's what's expected of me. Like that pressure was terrifying to her, right? Cause like she's, she's talking about essentially the fact that like some days you just have a good day, right? And every single piece of the puzzle comes together the way that it should. Everything is firing, you know, going the same way for you and things are just going your way and you have a great performance. And she was essentially describing a fear of not being able to replicate that because, you know, there are things that are outside of your control that go into that equation. And of course you can't, you know, always guarantee you get a great night's sleep ahead of a performance because... Sometimes, you know, there's a dog barking outside of your, win your window or there's late night construction or like whatever that prevents you from sleeping really great. Um, but this idea of like, it still goes back to fearful of meeting other people's expectations or fearful of being able to do that. And in her case, it was like, if I set the bar too high for myself, I'm never going to be able to get there again. Or I'm going to feel this immense pressure to be able to get there. Which, like, the more you talk about it, the more you start to understand it. And also, the more insane it sounds. That that's, like, a logical thought process in somebody's mind. It is very common, though, right? Like, and <clears throat> you also think of athletes who have, let's say, like, won a gold medal or won a championship. And then you come back the next year. And ironically there can be a lot of doubt, right? Because how often do people replicate this? And like you said, the added layer of now this is what's expected of me, right? Whereas realistically, like, and it's tough because in the sports world, that is often the case. Like if you've won, people expect you to keep winning. Or if you don't keep winning, the judgment is much higher than it would have been if you were just like happily cruising along in fourth or fifth place, right? So I think sports in particular is an environment where, like that doubt or fear of success is very prevalent. Well, I mean, we can just kind of tie this right back to Toronto, right? Like, <laughs> like every year they have that external pressure on them from the fan base because I mean, all the Toronto fans are so loyal, really. Like they want them to win. They want to see this happen. Everybody's rooting for them every single year. And there's a lot of external pressure. And there's also a lot of pressure from like up top within management of the club as well, because like, They've never been able to get over that hump. So, but now it's been like, you know, one year happens, second year happens, third year. Okay. Like fourth year, this is the year. No, it happens again. Fifth year. Okay. We're going to do it this time. Like 100%. No, nope, happens 
yet again. So like, do you think that maybe like within the club it's happened so often, like they just have like a collective PTSD of the first round of playoffs, like, because that, that pressure is there. Right. But it's also coming from within and it's also coming from external factors as well. I feel like in that case, it's more of a fear of failure again, right? Like they know that they can't disappoint the, the fan base. I don't think that in general, because like, if, like, if you word it the way that you did, right. All the fans are loyal. They know what's coming. Like everybody just wants you know what's to... coming. <laughs> <laughs> I meant that in the terms of playoffs. Okay. <laughs> no, oh, we know what you meant. We know what you meant. <laughs> But they like they know, right? And and I don't think for them that fear of success would exist as prominently as the fear of failure. Because success mm. to them is just freaking getting out of the first round. True. Like just get out of the first round. Then you're you're over that hump. Yeah, you, you haven't become like the most what is it, the most losingest team in game seven history. We'll call it that. Gotta be first so, to something. Something. But on the other hand, you have this, well, if we don't do it, then. Mm -hmm. If we don't win this game, then. Right? Mm -hmm. And there could be a lot of catastrophizing thoughts around that. Like, oh, well, we're going to lose our coach. Or we're going to have to trade players. Or this or that. Um, so I could see, like, really easily how in that locker room, as much as they were trying not to talk about it, I'm sure it was hanging pretty heavy in the air. Mm -hmm. This idea of, like, we, we have to do this. Okay, so let's go with another example, because you're right, that is definitely fear of failure. But if we take a look at our like men's national team, for example, they always compete against the U.S. every year, even on the women's side, right? Like those are like the top two teams every single year. So there's always a lot of pressure for them to be coming out on top. And it doesn't always, it's not like Canada wins every year. It's not like U.S. wins every year. It bounces back and forth, right? So would you say that that is a little bit more applicable to the whole idea of like this fear of being successful on a collective level, not like an individual, like athlete. How do you mean? So like, obviously you want to be winning every single year, right? So like you yeah. expect that let's go with team Canada, for example, you expect team Canada to be coming out on top every single year. I mean, mm -hmm. they've had the centralized for like a year before going in, they had a lot of prep time. So like, obviously the whole goal was to be coming out on top, right? So you have these high expectations for yourself. Now, obviously this year worked out well, but there's been years in the past where USA has come out on top and it's been a huge upset for Canada because they didn't perform to the standard that they were expected to be performing at. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I would like, I would say that's still fear of failure. The way I kind of I'm thinking about it right now is fear of failure is like that external expectation. Like we expect to win fear of success in my mind is more an internal thing. Like, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, if, if, if I am successful, I'm going to now have this internal expectation that I have to hold that bar versus people outside of me expect me to win. So if I fail, I'm letting them down fear of success is more. I don't know that I'm capable of living up to this internal standard hmm. I don't know if that makes sense it's kind of oh weird. it definitely does I'm just trying to figure out like 
what kind of example would work on a team aspect? Or do you think that the fear of success isn't really a collective idea? Maybe it is more individualistic because it does come from within and not from the external, even though you feel like you have to meet these certain standards that aren't necessarily set by you, but set by other people. Fear of success is, is more like you're setting a new benchmark. Like you are going to accomplish something that people don't expect of you, right? So you're entering into like new territory. Fear of failure in my mind is a little more about like, okay, people expect you to do this well. It's like you're afraid of losing something versus you're afraid of not being able to achieve something. Mm. Right. So like if, yeah. if you have a fear of I'm having failure, a really hard time over here, guys, it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> picture a bird. We support you. We support what? you. <laughs> you said picture a bird. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go down an analogy road, but I'm going oh. <laughs> to, but like, okay, maybe, so maybe it's the hat. Me. Maybe I need to take the, yeah, off. yeah. You need to take all <laughs> the, the connection will come. All right. I the think I understand now. Yeah. The way that I'm thinking of it as is like, if you have, um, if you have this external expectation of a certain level of success or a certain bar that you have to hit, then you're operating out of fear of losing that thing, of not getting that, right? Mm. Whereas in um, the other sense, when you're afraid of success or like you're self-sabotaging on your way to getting that, it's, it's not a fear of not having it. It's a fear of, um, like not being good enough to achieve it consistently, if that makes sense. So like in one sense, it's somebody is taking something away. You're taking the, the success away or, and adding failure. Whereas the other it's, you are simply not good enough to achieve it again, if that makes sense. So like one is very internal based and the other is external. I don't know if I'm making. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Like one is a fear I of everybody's minds around this topic. <laughs> Just put me in a blender. My God. Oh, you're right though. I think, I think one is a fear of losing, like fundamentally one is a fear of losing it. Yeah. Right. Like fear of losing this perception or expectation that other people have of you. The other one fear of success technically is like a fear of getting it. Because once you get that success, there's these implications that you have in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. So like yeah. once you've hit that certain level, then it's like, okay, pressure's really on because everybody expects me to be maintaining this level of success now. Yeah. So then once Does that you make get sense? That, Am I on the right track? That level, once you get to that level of success, then it becomes a fear of failure. Ah. Ding ding ding. <laughs> Oh, my, my head hurts. Oh God. We just wanted right. to make sure everyone was able to experience doubt in real time through this exercise. I doubted myself throughout this whole podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so here's another thing. So we've talked about like doubt, like we doubt our own abilities for some of us. It's like that micro level, right? Like I doubt my ability to stop this puck or get the shot in the net versus I doubt my ability to play the sport right so there's like that sliding scale but i'm also curious like in sports i'm trying to think from a coach's perspective and i'm sure players it's the same thing like i can doubt my ability to coach the athletes but i can also doubt my athlete's skill set 
right? Or my athlete's ability to compete, or I could doubt our collective team's ability to win a championship or whatever. So like, I'm curious about your experience with the doubt at those different levels. So not just personally, but like your doubt of a teammate or your doubt of your coach or your doubt of the team as a whole and how those intersect. Go ahead, go ahead, take it away. So my my senior year of college, we lost, uh, I want to say, four players to Olympic centralization. So everybody looked at our team as like, you know, let you like you you are now lesser than because you don't have these players anymore, right? And we could even kind of, in a sense, feel it from our coaches. There was something that was said at one point that whether or not it was intended made us all feel like oh so because these people aren't here we're not expected to meet the same level so like as a leadership group i remember us talking about it and i flat out said to everybody like yeah do i have doubts about us absolutely but there are things that we need to do that will help us be a better team regardless of who we have on the ice or who's in the locker room every day so i've had that doubt on a team level right? Because you look at the individual skill you have in the room. And in my case, the individual skill that we had lost and you say, okay, maybe, or not maybe because I did just concretely have doubts about what we were going to be able to accomplish. My coaches certainly seem to have doubts. I had doubts, but the more that we worked through that season and focused on just being a really good group of teammates, the more and more that doubt went away because you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what skill you have on the ice or what skill is in the locker room every day. It's how you come together as a team at the end of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and within that, even though I had full confidence and no doubt in my team, I still had doubt in myself every day. So it's interesting, right? Because you can have doubt in yourself and then full confidence in, in the people around you and in the team that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. and do you find like one fueled the other more like when they left did you experience like more self-doubt or potentially like when they left maybe your role grew and it like you know brought your personal or self-doubt down like no I think it stayed the same regardless right mm. like and I had the idea that if these players left then my role would expand and I would have less self-doubt because I would be more confident. I'd be on the ice more, whatever. The reality of it was it stayed the same. Because as soon as I got more of that ice time and more of the responsibility, I just doubted my ability to live up to it and to fill that person's shoes. So it changes, at least for me. Is there anything your coach, like, Hmm? is there anything your coach could have said or done to like impact that self-doubt? Um, he, he could have told me to try not to be somebody else, that the player that I was, was good enough for the role. (laughs) But instead it was, it was very much like, Hey, we need this specific kind of player. Doesn't matter what kind of player you are. We need you to fill this spot. And I was like, okay, okay. So, I mean, here's where I'm going with this. I think that self doubt starts from a lack of belief in self 
right? So when you don't have that strong belief in self, that's where self-doubt starts to creep in. And so regardless of what anybody else was saying around me or what anybody was saying to me, because I had that lack of self-belief, it didn't matter because any compliment would just like bounce off the shield of like, I'm not good enough. And any kind of criticism that probably could have made me better did the same because I had to protect myself from not feeling good enough because I already believed it. And if that got confirmed, then like, yikes. I just opened Pandora's box. Yeah, no. Well, (laughs) so what changed for you? So you say like, you know, like self-doubt is rooted in your own beliefs, right? A part of me would argue it's not you. Like it is rooted in something that someone else said or did to make you doubt yourself, right? So it's Mm -hmm. fundamentally based on like behaviors, words, and actions of other people, probably from a young age, but you're right. It grows, right? And at that point in time, once it's a self-belief, there has to be that recognition or willingness to recognize what's going on in order to change it. Like, how did you work through that process? Um, for me, it was all about like finding a way to not care as much. And it sounds bad, right? But like, um, prior to doing all of that work and whatnot, my entire sense of self was put into hockey. So anytime that I stepped out on the ice, not only was I like Lauren, the hockey player, I was just that. And there was no other sense of who I was, right? So everything that I did was completely make or break for my identity. And if I was succeeding, great. But if I was failing, like I was in some of the deepest pits of my life. Um, so for me, being able to say like, okay, it's just a game. The outcome doesn't really matter. Whether or not you fail or succeed is not a permanent thing. So like, fuck it, go out there and have fun was what allowed me to like uncouple my self-worth from that belief system. So even if I did have doubts about myself, I was like, well, okay, that's fine. A doubt is a doubt. Like it's normal. It doesn't mean that I'm any less of a person if I have doubts or that I'm any less of an athlete if I have doubts and having doubts also doesn't, um, like determine how well I'm going to play. So I literally explain it to people as like, I just hit a fuck it button. And you know, we're gonna have to put like explicit on this episode. Sorry. I think we have it on every episode, honestly. So all good. (laughs) But I, it truly was that it was like, I hit a fuck it button and I was like, I'm just going to have fun and enjoy myself because like, what's the point? I just thought of like the staples, like easy button, but like a fuck it button. Literally. That's how I just, yeah. It's just like, fuck it. Fuck it. They should make one of those. Fuck Fuck it. it. There you go. in unison good job really well done well done okay but I actually really liked what you said there MJ about how like of course we it's like rooted from childhood from some place or other but it's also what other people say that kind of activate it and like get you kind of going down that that pathway right so for me um one of the best examples that I can give and I'm, I'm wondering if this resonates for either of you because as, as coaches, you know that it's your job before going into a game, especially a big game, that you have to go in and have like a good pregame speech with your team, 
right? Like, especially if that's the standard that you've already set for your girls or guys, whatever, um, you need to make sure that you're staying consistent with that. So here we are going into like this big game. It's going to decide if we win AUS or not. We're at St. Mary's and like they're a strong club and we've always battled really hard against them. And like, I was like ready to go. I was like super excited. Um, and our coach comes in and he's like, kind of like you, MJ, like he gives like the metaphors, like those are like his pregame stories. Um, and he's given so many good ones, but on this particular day, he did not come in with the same type of energy, the same type of like pregame speech that he normally would. It was like very low energy, very like, all right, go up there and do your best there, girls. Like, it was just like, <laughs> that was it. And I remember like, all of us were just sitting in there. We're like, jaws dropped to the floor. Like, we're like, what the kind of a pregame speech was that? Like, this is going into the final game that's going to determine if we're going to win this freaking series or not. And that's what you lead with. So anyway, I personally, I felt like a huge shift in the energy in the change room after that speech, after we started to walk out towards the ice. Now I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on the coach's role in like setting that stage, right? Like a lot of self-doubt creeped in for us as a collective from the way I felt in that moment. Like I said, like that shift in energy, but maybe had he come in with more, more energy, more enthusiasm, maybe like the consistency of the pregame speech that he normally gives that it would have kind of inspired and motivated us rather than left us feeling like, Oh my God, like our coach literally doesn't think that we can do this. So he would typically do like the raw, raw speeches. Yeah. Not like raw, raw, but he was like the kind of guy who would come in like he he had like a metaphor for every, every game that we had. So he talked about like this, this, oh yeah. Like he comes in with these little stories like, okay, so there was like this frog in a bucket and there was milk in the bucket, but the frog, it was like the frog couldn't jump high enough to get out. So the frog just like keeps swimming, keeps swimming. And eventually he just actually churned the milk into butter. No, and like he was able, he was able to get out. I don't know. It was something along those lines. <laughs> Like it was like the most ridiculous thing, but like, you remembered was, it. It was memorable. Yeah, like you're yeah. sitting here 27 and you were able to tell us the frog churning milk into butter story. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we, like whenever we go to a game and especially when we had like a new group of recruits in, like he would tell the story, like usually like once a year. So like after the first time hearing it, we're all just like waiting there, waiting to hear when he's going to bring the frog in the bucket story. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, like those are the kind of things that he would come in and like kind of motivate you to like, to never give up, you know, like we're going to be able to do this. Like we have to work together as a team, yada, yada, yada. Like those are the kind of pregames we just he'd come in with. But this yeah. day specifically he led with, all right, girls, well, let's go get them. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that didn't align with, so it's, I'm trying to process this because my mind goes to a couple different places. One, sometimes coaches feel an over abundance of control over that, like the belief, right. And, or sometimes they take on too much weight of it. So in my, in my mind, it's kind of like, as a coach, are you doing your job if your players' belief in themselves is so impacted by 
your pregame speech. So for me, again, it's a sliding scale. So like, I feel like a coach, you're always competing that doubt, not by focusing on the doubt, but by instilling belief. Right. And what can you do for your athletes? Like, of course, a pregame speech is an important part of it, but what other sustainable strategies can you use? So your players believe in themselves and their abilities, whether it's the one-on-one talks or even giving players opportunities to like run drills in practice or engage in those talks themselves. Right. So for me, it's like, sometimes coaches want all of that. Like they want to feel like they're like leading the, the ship, right? Like I am the belief and I bring all of the energy, but that's the downfall is if you're that kind of coach and all of a sudden you show up and you're human, like maybe you've had a shitty day or maybe you can't bring that energy and you don't is the whole team then sitting in the room being like, oh, fuck, we're fucked. We can't do this. We're done ourselves. He doesn't believe in us. We don't believe in us. Right. But, but I do see that like sometimes. So Part of it is how can you create sustainable strategies for understanding doubt will always creep in, but like helping to make sure the belief outweighs the doubt or how do you address it kind of thing. I don't know. That's where Mm -hmm. my mind goes. Hmm. I mean, it makes, makes good sense to me. Um, Like obviously we need to be building our own belief, our own self-belief, our own like internal motivation to make sure that we're stepping up to the plate whenever we go on the ice or the court or the field for that performance. Um, but yeah, like, I think like as a coach, you want to make sure that you're showing up consistent. Right. And like you said, like they're human too, 100%. Like there's Mm -hmm. definitely other things going on in their life that we don't know about. And they give so much of their time and energy to the game and to us as athletes, which like on the women's side, we like, super super appreciate because we know like the compensation really is not at that level that they deserve yet um so like of course we're super grateful in that sense but yeah I was just curious to hear like what your take was on that because like that was definitely one that really like I've I've never forgotten it obviously and it's been like it's five years since that's happened and like it's it's stuck with me so here's the analogy Yes. Yes. No, I probably even use it on this, but it's like, you know, like you give a, you give a person a fish, they'll eat for the day. You teach them how to fish, they'll eat for their life. So in your situation, it's like giving the person a fish is like, as a coach feeling like your job is to let all the players know that you believe in them, right? Like I believe in you, you can do this. So like, I am, I'm giving you that fish. I'm giving you that belief. Mm -hmm. Teaching them how to fish would be like incorporating activities and exercises for the athlete to believe in themselves, like to work on that self-confidence and self-belief. Like here's an exercise on, Hey, if you're feeling some doubt, like here's how you can navigate that. Like, here's how you can empower yourself. Right. So I, and I think that's the shift we're at in coaching. Cause historically, like, that's what it's been. Like you're this charismatic person that comes in and you know, like you believe in the athlete. And so the athlete feels empowered because you believe in them. Versus like, you still do that, but also like, how can you teach that athlete to empower themselves? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, what would your advice be for coaches that have maybe been in a similar situation so they can properly handle that once the time comes where like they're showing up to a game and they feel like, okay, like I don't have the energy I need to make sure that the team is where they need to be at before they step out and play this game. Like, what would your advice be? Well, I, again, it's like proactive versus reactive, right? Like understanding you're a human, not doing, doing those things so that when you're in that situation, it doesn't come down to like 
the charisma in your pregame speech to dramatically impact your team's performance, right? Like Mm -hmm. if they have activities that they're doing beforehand to like visualize and believe in themselves and picture themselves being successful, all of those things, like your speech is just like a, a supporting cast to their performance. It's not like the main character on the stage that's determining everything, right? So it's more proactive than reactive. Because I think a lot of coaches do put a lot of pressure on themselves to be that person. Like I know when I started coaching and if we were like in a tournament or a big game, like I would want to have this grandiose speech that was like, like, it's my job to make them play the best game they've ever played. And now like, you know, being 15 years into it, it's like, that's not my job, you know, like I can't carry that weight all the time. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah. realistic expectations too. We need to call this like the miracle on ice Herb Brooks effect. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that like that speech sticks in the head of a lot of people. Like you hear that speech and you see the way that it impacted the players, whether or not it actually played out like that in real life, which, you know, we've heard that there are exaggerations to it and whatnot. Whenever I was coaching, I like, that was always something that came into mind is like, well, they do give big speeches during big games and like, you got to get them pumped up. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, they like, especially when you're with older players that are seasoned and I've been there before, like they've got their own routines. And I like what you said, like you're a supporting actor in that you are maybe aiding in their process, but you're definitely not disturbing it to the point where what you are doing is implicating the like, the rest of their performance right so it's interesting because i definitely i feel that on another level <laughs> well i mean and- like thinking about that speech in general like just you bring it up like evokes like chills because i know how like moving that speech is like everybody knows yeah if we played them 10 times they might win nine but not tonight not this game there's so many though there's like any given sunday speech like every every movie about sports has that coach that goes in and like delivers that life-changing speech before the game and of course Mm. they go out Mm. and have their best game and it's because of the coach's speech whereas you know that's not necessarily always the case that's another one we could do like hollywood representation of sports how accurate is it goon <laughs> how accurate is it <laughs> very realistic well especially have you seen like the world championships uh there's there's been quite a bit of gooning around actually i don't know if you guys have been watching it all but no. like finland finland norway they had a little scuffle same with finland usa i think sounds like finland's the common denominator here i haven't seen a lot of the other games but thing. Mm-hmm. i wouldn't label them as like a very hostile have you seen the size of their team oh my god they're massive yeah they're huge like there's a guy who's like six eight oh my god God. yeah yeah there's a guy there's a guy like that um he played for one of the shl teams so like their locker room would always come in when they came to our rink it Mm -hmm. was like right next to ours and like i'm walking by the sticks and i literally had to look up because this guy's stick was like a whole foot and a half taller than I was. And I'm almost like, I'm on skates. I'm over six foot. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, how tall is this guy? <laughs> like, what size are your skates? Do you have to get extensions on your shin pads? <laughs> Custom gear. God. Oh. Tara had to have an ending put into his stick. Yeah. Long yeah. Enough. Mm. yeah. 
That's crazy. I heard he had like custom shin pads too or something well, weird. Yeah. You yeah. have to. Just a giraffe on ice. I love to watch people that are massive on the ice. Like it's <laughs> literally the funniest thing to watch. We had this girl it's in the university. Not a zoo, Taylor. What? That <laughs> it's not a zoo. Just pay to look at massive people on also here. like you're really tall so yeah, yeah. I know, I know. that's the kicker here right yes <laughs> i forgot about so that she... she's no, but walking like, at her own kind i thought she was like a solid five seven for like literally a year and a half and then all of a sudden just like i'm six feet i was like what <laughs> I was Who are you? Take your name. Today. I was like, yo, MJ's going to lose it when she sees me when we're in Muskoka. <laughs> Literally. I'm going to wear platform shoes. I feel better about myself. <laughs> no, but like we had this girl on my team. She's a forward in my first year. And she was taller than I am. And like on skates, she was like, I don't know. She had to have been close to six four on skates like she was huge but she was also super skinny too and lanky so whenever she skated it she would just she just looked like gumby on skates like it was like is that as you skated with her arms in the air like that yeah. that would definitely like that would accentuate the height and like everyone not seeing video it looks like one of those those air powered cars inflatable wacky waving arm inflatable tube men <laughs> The one that you see at your car dealership every Wednesday. That on skates that pretty much sums skates. it up. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my goodness. Um well maybe, okay, so let's round it out here. Let's bring it back to doubt. What are some tools that we can give people to like to deal with self-doubt? Because as we've talked about, like it's normal. Everybody experiences it. And I think the people that perform best are the ones who figure out how to overcome it or how to like hit the silent button when they need to. So what are some strategies that we can leave some people with to, to deal with that very normal self-doubt? I mean, for me, it comes back to like the controllables, uncontrollables, right? Like a lot of the self-doubt creeps in because of the external expectations that you are perceiving are there in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but once you kind of rein it back and say, okay, like, this is within my control, my attitude, my mindset, my effort level, those three things are things that I can control. And if I'm doing the absolute best that I can with those things, then there's no reason to be doubting myself. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, your example of like the fuck it button hundred percent is very applicable. I think like when you learn to like, let that pressure go off yourself and like have that self-compassion, I think it gets a lot, a lot easier. It takes practice for sure. Don't get me wrong. It took me, I think, and that's the thing with this, right? Is like, we can give you these tools to help manage these situations. Um, and hopefully you can use them and apply them and get the use that, that you need. But I think it also does come with experience too. Um, I think that's, that's the kicker with sports. It's like, we can give you all the tools in the world, but it does come with like the repetitions and the experience of, of being in the game and experiencing that over, you know, a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would add, write it out, like acknowledge the doubt. Cause like we said, we all have it. And we have this weird thing with like negative emotions where we like to like avoid them. 
but they exist. And, and we all know, right? Like it starts with something that you're unsure about, right? Like that doubt or that hesitancy. And then that can quickly spiral into all kinds of like negative self-talk and negative beliefs that impact our actions or inactions. So for me, it's like, if, if you're unsure about yourself in a situation, write it out, like write out what, what you feel and the reasons behind that. And even just doing that, like it gets it out of your head and you can actually look at it objectively. And when you can do that, it's not as scary, right? And when you do that, you can find a solution and you're kind of catching that cycle before it gets too carried away. And like you said, then everything's going to, what can I control in this situation, right? What can I do? Like, where's the fuck it button? Cause often when we write it out and we look at it, like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm capable. Like when you look at it objectively, you're like, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like I can do this, I'm capable, but sometimes we need to be, we need that objective lens, right? So mm -hmm. if it's in our mind, just going crazy, we can't do that. Writing it out's a great way to just be objective about it and then be able to move on. Yeah. And then I think you, a, good, a good thing to, to like round out with is then to supply yourself with a bunch of things that you can do and that you have mm -hmm. done to like reach for that proof and evidence of why you are capable. So I like, I like this. We did like the whole three-step process, like start to focus mm -hmm. on the controllables, figure out what you have control over, write out what's making you feel doubt in the first place and like make it concrete because as soon as you take it out of your head, it now seems a whole lot less intimidating and powerful, I guess. And then, like, get into a confident area by um, accessing those past memories of success. Like, when have you done something that you were, like, super stoked about or really proud of? Um, envision yourself doing the exact same thing that you were doubting whether or not you could do. Um, because we all know that, like, at the elite levels the 10,000 hours of practice is like right out the door and we've got like 20,000 hours of practice, right? So you've got the proof and evidence somewhere. You just have to go and find it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Boom. Boom. I would you drop the mic, but it was really expensive. Preach, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. preach, preach. Yeah. But any other final thoughts? Are we keeping you up, MJ? No. Take <laughs> mom life. Yeah, she's got two sick kiddos. Oh, <laughs> We're guys. keeping you up. <laughs> We're not here for mom talk. Not not today. That's another episode. That's right. Well then, we can right. kind of cut it here and say thank you for listening to the episode on the Toronto Maple Leafs and self doubt. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> that should actually be the title: the Toronto Maple Leafs and self doubt. <laughs> you and yeah. <laughs> all right and on that note thanks for tuning in everybody if you could kindly uh take some time to leave a rating or if you feel so moved to leave a review this really does help the podcast grow we've had a couple come in the last couple of days and the more the merrier so thanks again guys and we'll see you guys next week bye